Good day, folks, and welcome to another edition of our FX podcast series. Um, today, I'm joined by Chris Brand from our trading desk and Ellie Henderson from our economics team. Um, this is the first podcast that I've done since returning from my summer break. Um, I had the pleasure of taking some time off at the end of July, a staycation in Cornwall, followed by a few days in Tewkesbury, which has done me wonders. Um, I hope that you all also have the pleasure of going away somewhere nice this summer, if you're not um, already one of those many on, on break at the moment. Um, whilst I was away, I did my best to try to not look at the market, but lo and behold, you inevitably do. Seeing cable dip into the 135s had me reach out to the FX dealing desk to ensure some of my dollar sellers were indeed contacted while I, I was off. Needless to say, my wife does think I'm a, I'm a little bit crazy. Um, since then, um, the, the pound has kind of been on a bit of a golden run higher, um, going through its, its purple bat, patch rather at, at the very same time as Team GB's swimmers at the Olympics. So we, we now find the pound up in the uh, 139s against, against uh, the dollar, buoyed predominantly by positive COVID news, which is perhaps where we'll, we'll kick this podcast off. And I bring in Ellie to, to get a bit of an overview, overview there. Ellie, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a bit of a, a quick summary of the general COVID trends and perhaps what this, this means for the, the global economy, economic outlook. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, so as you said, the main thing continues to be COVID developments across the world. Thankfully, domestically in the UK, we had a tense couple of weeks, but cases have since fallen rapidly. So yesterday we recorded just under 22,000 cases, which is a real marked decline from the 50k seen just a few weeks ago. So this fall really has caught scientists and governments by surprise, we had a few weeks ago a top scientist predicting that 100,000 cases a day was almost inevitable. But in reality, we have not seen that. And it's looking like the reason why we've seen such a fall in cases is because of the end of the European Championships. So if you look at the gender split in cases, you can see a divergence and a spike in cases around the time of the football which really points to the socialising socialising around the tournament really increasing transmission. Although not always the case, men are typically more likely to gather for the Games, which explains the gender divergence and does suggest that the Euros was the most likely culprit. And once the Euros was over, we have seen this huge fall in cases as smaller group interactions because people were not gathering for Games. I'm sure that Chris will touch on this and Kieran mentioned this previously, but the surprise fall in cases seems to have contributed to Sterling's rally over the past week or two. And that's been a positive development for the UK. But elsewhere, unfortunately, we're not seeing the same sort of story. Global cases are on the rise. We've got the Delta variant spreading across the world. So, for example, in the US, and this has resulted in some states bringing back the mask mandate. And we also see parts of Asia, such as China, Australia and Japan, battling um, new outbreaks. And this greater threat from Delta has seemed to have resulted in some strengthening in the dollar. But what does this change in the COVID trends mean for our global forecasts? Well, at the moment, we've kept them pretty much steady at 6.2% for 2021. So that's global GDP growth. So although we have seen this pick up in, in infections, monitoring some of the fast indicators of activity has actually shown that we've not seen a marked deterioration in activity in the major economies. And as we've seen over the past few months in previous waves, there is a growing resilience of economies to restrictions and rising infection numbers. But of course, there is a limit to this, and we do acknowledge the risks of the um, spread of Delta and severe lockdowns, and we'll continue to monitor that. 
Also, on the monetary policy front, it has been extremely accommodative since the start of the pandemic. But recently, there has been talk about when will this emergency support be pulled back? And we have seen a bit of a hawkish tilt. It has been questioned whether, because of this new threat from Delta, will we see some backtracking in this? But, for example, in Australia this morning, who's been battling a surge in cases and being put in different regions into lockdown, the RBA still opted to stick with their tapering plan which was a surprise to some markets that were expecting the central bank to delay plans in light of the evolving COVID situation. So definitely these COVID trends are something we will monitor. But for now, our global forecast does remain steady. Uh, Thanks, Ellie. I I don't know if you want to add anything on that, Chris, from your side. But I mean, it certainly has been very visible that the pound has benefited by the fact that COVID cases have remained low. Um, But obviously, there is this nervousness around. And, uh, you know, we we will probably see some dollar strength uh, on the back of that if global cases continue to rise. Um, 140 is obviously a very key level um, in in sterling dollar. And um, I just want to get your thoughts on whether um, yeah, you think we might we might actually see that level trade through in the, in the next week or so yeah i think one thing also to mention about the uh covid numbers and all we'll to talk about the football the other thing to mention is the pandemic that's been going on now what you've had you've had a lot of people getting pings and being forced to isolate and so this may be one of the factors also leading into the reduced numbers obviously because there's less people going out and contacting on the basis of this pandemic it'll be interesting to see what happens if the government do change it from five days to two days of when you get pinged and whether that has a big impact but it's certainly something to keep in mind. Um, in terms of the move up, I think it can continue. I do prefer buying on dips. I think if the numbers stay like they are and you know we're over the worst of it, then I think the outlook for the UK is quite good. And then we start looking into the Bank of England and things like that that we see um, this week. So, yeah, it's definitely a target for us, 140. I think after that, we're looking at all the tools, 140, 160, and then 142.50 would be our targets. Um, but we've got a few key events this week that's going to really set the tone of which way we're going to go. Um, so, talking of those few key events, it's um, it stands to reason that non-farm payrolls will be one of the things you no doubt will want to talk about, Chris. And what about the Bank of England on Thursday? Um, do you want to give us your thoughts on, on both of those? Yeah, uh, for the Bank of England, um, we're not expecting many changes. I guess the key thing we're looking at is the votes for um, the reduction of QE. Um, So that would be one of the bigger market movers, I guess. Um, They are going to see the COVID numbers as being positive, and there is a lot to be looking forward to for the UK, and the Bank of England will probably have to mention that. But I think we do have to bear in mind that we're going to have a lot of people ending the furlough scheme in September. So I think there's currently just under 2 million people that are still in the furlough scheme. So I think anything the Bank of England do is going to be very cautious. They might be optimistic, but cautiously optimistic. I think they can't think that all these 2 million people are all going to get back into employment when the furlough ends. I think this is going to be a reason why they won't be able to act and taper straight away. Um, But that doesn't say they're not going to have the conversation around it. So I think they're going to try and still have a wait and see kind of attitude. Um, there is a review, possible review over the way they're going to set about motions for tapering and some of the um, aspects in the change of structure of how they might do things. But I'm sure Ellie can touch on that. Um, in terms of NFP, everyone's expecting a good number. Um, I think 875 is generally the expected number and it was 850 last time. I think it needs to be a pretty good number um, for us to see any market movement. I think what was interesting um, 
overnight was basically we had the Fed speaker basically saying that the next two job dates are very important. And if they're as strong as the last ones, then they could be looking at September to make an announcement in terms of tapering. So I think these comments that we saw maybe give us a more reason to hold this number um, as a bit more volatility around it. I think if we do get similar numbers to around 850 to a million, then I think we might see a bit of movement. Options market isn't priced in a huge deal at the moment, but certainly one to watch. Cheers, Chris. And Ellie, what are, you, what are your thoughts on, on non-farm payrolls as well um, and the Bank of England? Yeah, so the view from the economics deck is very similar to what Chris was saying. We're looking for around an 825k rise, so a very strong number. But of course, we've seen from previous reports in pandemic times, these estimates are subject to a lot of uncertainty. So our thinking is that the strong number will come from the early expiry of the enhanced unemployment benefits in many states. And we're thinking that this should push people towards employment. And just one other um, data point to note from the release is the participation rate, which also will be of interest. So there's been a lot of media reports and some interesting data out that the US are really struggling with unfilled vacancies as participation in the labour market is really it's yet to recover to the pre-pandemic ratios that we were seeing. So it's hoped that with the prospect of children returning to school full time, that we should see some of the child care's concerns easing, which has been cited as a possible reason why the participation rate is so low. And we're hoping that this ratio will recover slightly, helping plug this gap between the supply and demand for labour. So overall, the employment report, it will be an interesting one this this month. And we're looking for a strong number on the payrolls. Um, moving over to the Bank of England, like what Chris said, we're not expecting um, any change in policy stance. So we think the bank rate will be held steady at 0.1%, as will the targeted stock of asset purchases at £895 billion. Um, but Chris touched on the fact that the vote on asset purchases could be of interest. So as of late, we have had some MPC members, such as Ramsden and Saunders, sounding decisively more hawkish. So it is possible that they vote to cut the targeted stock of asset purchases. But we do think that they will get outvoted by the rest of the committee just from things that have been said in the media. And just to note, we've not yet seen a replacement for the former chief economist, Andy Haldane. So there will only be eight voters this time round instead of the, um, the normal nine and aside from the vote, we'll also be getting the updated NPR with this announcement. So we'll get some updated forecasts. And it's highly likely that we see the committee raise the short term inflation profile relative to May. And that's given the strong set of CPI data that has been released since that report. So definitely one to watch out for. That's great, Ellie. So I think before we, we wrap things up, there's probably one other um, US bit of info that we probably should cover off, and that's the U.S. infrastructure bill. Um, I know that, you know, there's been a bipartisan deal that's 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 been agreed, but it's yet to be passed. Um, it would be great to get your thoughts on this and also the reconciliation bill. Yeah, definitely. So that was a big movement over the past few days. The bipartisan group of senators have now finally agreed on this one trillion infrastructure bill which includes $550 billion of new spending over the next five years. And that's kind of an item such as road and rail. But even though it's a great thing that this has been agreed, there are still some significant hurdles to go and we'll be monitoring this over the coming days, months, weeks, however long it takes. So the bill still needs to be voted on in the Senate where it needs 60 votes to pass. And this is not a foregone conclusion 
that this will pass so we could still see some tensions ahead and some hurdles ahead. And as you mentioned, we're also looking towards the reconciliation bill. So the Democrats want to push forward their 3.5 trillion US dollar investment plan through this reconciliation where they will not need the Republican support so they can go it alone. And what's important part of this deal is it's also set to include the raising of the debt ceiling. And this follows the expiry of this debt ceiling suspension, which expired at the end of last month. So, yeah, this is definitely a big thing to watch and to keep an eye on over the coming days and weeks. Fantastic. So look, that's a, a fair bit to go through. Most of you are, as I mentioned, or, and I do know, on summer vacation, so we probably sh- should leave it there. Um, I'll just end off by getting Chris's thoughts on one last thing. By the time we get to do our next recording, pretty sure that Mr. Harry Kane will no longer be with Tottenham Hotspur, which means England will have a much better, greater chance of winning a, a major tor- tournament and uh, so that he can lift up the trophy. What are your thoughts on that, Chris, as a Tottenham fan? Uh, as a Tottenham fan, I say he's done enough for the club and take the money and run. <laughs> we will see. We will see. Well, folks, that's a wrap from the three of us. Um, until next time, all the best and we'll catch you soon. Cheers.